Hello, everybody, and welcome back to OMB Reviews. I am the critic who is a cynic. How is everyone doing this evening? Happy and blessed Tuesday, blessed Pentecost Tuesday, and welcome back to the Welcome to Asgard podcast, episode 300 and, oh, sorry, 439. I got my numbers messed up there. 439, where tonight we're going to talk about how The Little Mermaid is indeed flopping at the box office. And yes, we, we can say that at this point, even this early on in its release, because as of right now, there is no indication that there is any market that is going to come into play to make up for the losses that it's seeing across the world, especially in the international markets where no one is really showing up to see this movie. They, of course, are already rolling out every single excuse in the book. There is the excuse now that it's because of review bombing. It's because of international review bombing in European nations that is leading to this film not doing as well as they had expected. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Gotta always love those excuses. But as of right now, based off of what we typically see most movies do, even in their opening week, as you all know, I'm going to wait until week two's numbers come in to look at that week two drop-off to make actual projections on what I officially think the film is going to make. But I also, I've been playing around with some new metrics. been playing around with one specific new metric, one new equation, and I've actually found some interesting results. And so we'll, we'll go ahead and, and kind of play that out to say, okay, here's what we can probably expect even at this point in time, uh, even this early on in time. So we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about Fast 10 and why that film is also in a lot of financial trouble. Basically, it's the complete reverse of what's going on with Little Mermaid. We've talked about this before, but of course, we do have some new updated numbers as the days have gone on. Before any further, though, please make sure you smash that like button, like the fire button, and smash the rumble button as well. And thank you all for joining us this evening. Should be a good time. Also, for everyone who joined me this morning, uh, this morning we started our summer stream schedule, and so we started off today on Tuesday over at the OMB Report. That's my second YouTube channel. Hasn't gotten a lot of attention over the last several months, but now that it is summer, it is officially back up and running. And so we did our OMB Report live stream talking about different things, and so if you like news and politics and things like that, hey, go check out the OMB Report, and I'll be live streaming every Tuesday from that channel. Tomorrow morning, we will have our first Good Morning Asgard podcast stream uh, that will be from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, as that is what the majority of you voted on in the poll that was posted on the community tab, and should be a lot of fun. I'm going to try to uh, not just do some box office stuff, but also generally talk about, it's usually a much more open forum uh, compared to these streams, which, you know, even though they're not the most focused streams in the world, we, we try to keep certain topics, and we try to stay on topic for the most part. Uh, but the Good Morning Asgard podcasts are a good time for us to kind of delve into a wide variety of things. Before going into the chat, though, I did want to give a shout out to Andy Masterson. Uh, he just sent me something in the mail. He is of Laboratory of Mayhem, and you can follow him on Twitter at Andy Masterson 6. And he sent me, he's done this for all of the uh, other FNT crew as well, but he made a, an action figure for me. Uh, kind of a large action figure. I don't know the official term for it because I'm not much of a collector, but I, I like it anyway. So he made this for me. Look at that. It's a little me. It's a little Templar Knight Odin. He's got the shield. He's got a sword. Look at that. I love it. I love the attention to detail. I love that he had captured my face. I do think that, you know, me being bald definitely does help. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, shout out to Andy Masterson for this. And of course, he had to include this little item right here, which was a little pineapple. So 
I appreciate the joke there. Good sir, thank you again for including that, and thank you seriously, Andy Masterton, for this amazing uh, action figure. It's awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Alrighty, let's go ahead then and dive into the chat. We got Orange Hour Views who is here. He is the mod on a channel, so do make sure that you behave yourselves, that you are uh, nice to one another. Don't spam the chat. If you do, he will indeed lay the hammer down on you as he has that authority here. And follow all of his rules. They're very simple. If you have a comment or question, put at Odin in the very beginning of your comment, at Odin. It lets me know that you're trying to get my attention. It highlights orange on my screen. Also, I do fall about 20 to 30 minutes behind in the chat as well. So do be patient. And that's what we mean by don't spam. You don't have to put your comment in several times over because I will get to them. It just might take me a little while because I do like to read the chats. And of course, you are always invited to Super Chats or to donate via Streamlabs if you want to circumvent YouTube's. And not let YouTube's get that 30% cut. That is up to you. You can find the link in the video description. Thank you again, Orange Eye Reviews, for being here. Master of Gaming in the chat. What is going on? Welcome back. Glad to have you here. Keely Chow in the chat. What's up? Saying, how is Thor and Freya doing? Baby Thor's doing great. And the Lady Freya is also doing well. It was hard for her to uh, transition back to work uh, having <laughs> the three-day weekend. Uh, but it was nice. And today was a very productive day. Uh, for me, I was able to run to the grocery. I was able to uh, handle some of the food inside of our fridge that had been there for far too long. So I was both productive and also got to play a little bit more of Tears of the Kingdom, which is still an amazing game. I was able to do some grinding today in that game. So Derek McManus, what's going on? Welcome back. Coliseum Builders, what's going on? Uh, the simple answer to that one is that they are different sites owned by different people. And so it, it really comes down to, you know, the sites, whether they're updating their numbers in real time. Let's just say Box Office Mojo is notorious for having uh, data entry errors. Um, and I think that's big, probably a bigger problem of, you know, a company owned by a massive corporation. As for those that don't know, Box Office Mojo used to be amazing. It used to be an amazing site. Got bought out by IMDb, Amazon. And so now it's really gone to the dumps ever since then. Nearside Cyclops, what is going on? Jacob Reed in the chat, what's up? John Evan Bear tagged, what's going on, man? And it says, Little Mermaid flopping is, uh, is flopping spectacularly, and it is glorious. Shao Kahn voice. I see what you did there. Uh, yeah, it is something to, to behold. As you all know, I did not hate this film nearly as much as I thought I would. In fact, I think there are some things that are that are half decent in there. Um, but it's again, imagine there are little pieces of just, you know, nice things covered in complete crap. It, it's just not going to make up for it. It's just not going to be able to uh, to do anything. Right. So, yeah, it, it is definitely a deserving flop of a movie from a, for a very deserving company as well. Steven, what's going on? Says greeting Odin, uh, greetings Odin. Enjoyed your summer break. Enjoy your summer break while you can. I know you're a very busy man. Well, thank you very much, Steven, and and I will. Absolutely. I have already started to uh, be more productive, been trying to do a lot more things and uh, got a lot of things planned. I think I'm going to start my my binging of Babylon 5 tomorrow, so I should be able to have at least an episode or two under my belt before the Good Morning Asgard podcast streams. I should be able to give my initial thoughts on the show then, as I have never seen it before. That is, of course, unless Tears of the Kingdom uh, takes over my life. Uh, more recently, what's taken over my life and my free time is uh, two docuseries on the Nexium cult. That was the cult that Allison Mack of the uh, show Smallville, she played Chloe in Smallville, uh, that was the cult that she was a part of, and uh, the 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 one on Max was really interesting, and I heard there was another one 
that was also really good on stars and so i ended up getting that just so i could watch that one and it was really good a different focus um it made it unique in that way but it, it's been fascinating uh, to watch that stuff kinkane rum kinkane rumski over on rumble what's going on kinkane rumski says are you on mars should we send help no it's the feast of pentecost peace it is again the feast of pentecost it's pentecost tuesday and we are in the season of Pentecost. It is a season. Cacao and Cookies Minion. What's going on? Welcome back. Forever Sci-Fi, who is a member on the channel, hail to you. Thank you for being here. Kimberly G. What's going on, Kimberly G., who's a member? Thank you for being here. Happy Tuesday from Laura, the Modern Major General story. What's going on, Laura? Appreciate you being here. Great Wuda in the chat. What is up? Sherry Allen in the chat. What's going on, Sherry? Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, bounding into comics. What's going on, brother? Welcome back. Glad to see you in the chat. It's been a long time, I feel, but I love seeing you in there. And uh, yeah, the uh, the action figure was was really cool. JKD Buck says, "Sweet, totally, totally, bro." Miss Minnesota fan says, "Nice, cool Templar Odin." Orange Review says, "Odin, that would be a doll proper term." And that was what I was wondering because my initial thought was doll. But then I didn't want to say the wrong thing. <laughs> so I was like, if anyone knows the proper term for it, please do let me know. Because, again, when I saw it, I was like, oh, this is a really cool doll. But then I was like, but doll, I feel like, typically has a very different connotation to it. So I didn't know if there was, like, a, a more official term for it. But, yeah, this is awesome. So, again, shout out to Andy Masterson uh, for that. Again, that's why I, 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 again, wanted to know the actual proper phraseology. Uh, Soul Assassin, what's going on? Chris Rose, what is going on? Yeah, it's, it's really cool. So again, shout out to Andy Master for sending that my way. Uh, Sherry Allen says, it's cool. Absolutely. Obi-Wan, hello there. Hello there. JKD Buck, who is a member, says, this will come as a major shock, but I'm not going to see Little Mermaid. Actually, JKD Buck, that is a little bit of a shock, because I feel like you typically get dragged to see a lot of things, <laughs> especially things that you maybe don't necessarily want to see. Oh, man. Miss Minnesota, Miss Minnesota Hockey fan, how about a hockey player? Hello, how's everyone doing today? I hope you're doing well. Scott McKenzie in the chat also. What's going on, Scott? Welcome back. Glad to have you here. Uh, Steven, who is a member, says, Did you see the viral video of families fighting in the Little Mermaid Theater room? It's sad. Your thoughts? I mean, it's sad when anyone does, right? It's sad when anyone falls into a fight. Um, and so that's why, for me, it's... I just don't like it, especially when you have two families and assumingly all, you know, everyone involved was a parent. And so to do that also in front of your child is, is again, just egregious and, and disgusting. And it's sad. It really ultimately is sad. Rob D. Hey, Odin. I think Elemental is Pixar's last chance. I think if it's a flop, their movies will get dumped on Disney Plus in the future. Well, Rob D., based on the early indications, the early reporting... Uh, those early numbers for it, it is not looking good. Uh, Elemental is actually not in a very good spot. And I will say this much. I have seen trailers for that movie about the Kraken, like the teenage Kraken. It's a terrible name for a movie, by the way. But I've seen I've seen that trailer more than Elemental. So I think that is an indication, at least to me, that, okay, there's clearly something not quite right here. Uh, and I don't know exactly what it is that is leading to that, but based on the early numbers, based on the early projections, according to box office, bro, it's not looking good for that one. So I think you might actually be witnessing the, the actual death knell of Disney's 
uh, content specifically geared towards kids. And we again, we really saw the origins of this, and I've mentioned this several times before, but I honestly think the origins of this all goes back to Lightyear. And it's not because of Lightyear specifically. It's, again, because I think around that time, you had Disney getting involved in Florida politics. You had them going all in. You had all the videos coming out about the promotion of the LGBTQ plus AIP, whatever it is, or whatever the acronym is these days, uh, agenda, and, and trying to put it in their movies. And ultimately, I think a lot of parents saw that and said, yeah, you know what? I don't really think I want my kids to watch that stuff anymore, even if there's nothing in there, even if it's something that's very innocuous. I, I don't really want that for my kids. Because what have we really seen since then? We've seen probably the most uh, difficult box office time for Disney as a company, especially and most especially when it comes to their specifically uh, kids-oriented content. Because you had Lightyear, which was a massive bomb, Strange World, which was a massive bomb. It's looking like uh, Little Mermaid's going to be a bomb. And Elemental, right now, based on early numbers and early projections, it looks like that one could also be a bomb as well. So, I mean, we'll dive into the numbers on Little Mermaid specifically, and I think we will definitely also uh, pull up the Box Office Pro early numbers because those should be updating relatively soon. But it's not looking good for Elemental either, just to kind of give you a a bit of a, a preview. It's expected to open. Here's again, Elemental, the next Disney Pixar movie. It is a Disney Pixar movie. It is expected to open to 31 to 41 million dollars. A total domestic of 98 to 167. That is abysmal. That is terrible. And again, these are early, so we might get these updated soon and, and it might even be trending up. But that's the reason why also I'm looking at that saying, how are these people thinking that Little Mermaid's going to be a massive hit? If even like the old bread and butter, right? The old content, right? Or the new content that that comes out of Disney and Pixar, right? That used to be a powerful combination, right? That used to be such a powerful combination. And and now we've just seen it completely fall apart. So, but yeah, we'll we'll dive into that uh, a little bit later. But it's not looking good at all for Disney whatsoever. And I've got more accurate up-to-date numbers too, because as you all know, I like to talk about inflation a lot and sometimes it drives people crazy, but uh, the numbers.com has an inflation calculation, uh, inflation calculator on there. And I've actually, before the stream, uh, I whipped up a chart, always fun doing that, right? And I decided to put it up against the numbers, comparing what the value of the dollar is today versus what it would have been last, what it would have been the year that these films came out. And it's actually quite a, a stark dis, uh, uh, a stark difference. I think you'll also see why I always give that warning of saying, hey, take this calculator with a grain of salt that is on the numbers.com because it is somewhat behind. But anyway, let's see. Steven tagged to say, wanted to see how IMDb are controlling and protecting Little Mermaid rating. I'm glad to see some articles calling them out on this. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's insane to me that these companies, and this happens all the time, right? This happens all the time, specifically with Disney. Isn't it interesting that, and correct me if I'm wrong, is there any other company that has had movies that have been quote-unquote review-bombed to the point where these companies have gone in and changed their code, changed their entire system? Because I am right now blanking on that because all I can think of is Rotten Tomatoes and Captain Marvel, and then it was Rotten Tomatoes, and I think it was, I'm, I'm almost confident it was another Disney movie. But Disney is the one that's almost always having this happen, and it's always the excuse it's always the excuse that's being used. 
And it's like, wait, if we just step back for a moment, we know that there's other studios and we know that there's other companies that are putting out movies that are also not good. We know that there's even films that are being put out by these studios that are even controversial. And yet, what are we seeing from this, right? It's just... It's just excuse after excuse after excuse. Let's see. Master of Gaming, thank you very much for being a member for one month. He is uh, cashing in that Army of Asgard level free chat. It says there, if China was racist according to Deadline, then why is Fast 10 doing well in China? Fast 10 has a diverse cast. Yes, and then you would also have to bring up the fact that, hey, Black Panther didn't do terrible in China. And that was a majority black cast. So... Again, it, it does not actually hold water. You know, it does not actually hold up to scrutiny when you just take even just a small moment, a small, tiny moment to actually think these things through. Oh, it's crazy, though. John W78 has been a member at the Keep of the Bifrost level for four months. Thank you, man. Appreciate that. Carl, who's a member, says you will love uh, Babylon 5. I hope I do. I hope I do. A lot of people, um, a lot of people were were helping with that. Helping push push that for this year. Laura, the Monomator General, says, Excited you're watching Babylon 5. As I remember, there were a lot of religious themes in the stories. And that's why a lot of people, when I was watching DS9 last year, were saying, you got to watch Babylon 5. Well, I'm finally going to be starting to do that probably tomorrow. Uh, Jacques Le Suave, what's going on, brother? Jacques Le Suave hanging out over on Odyssey, saying, Allison Mack may have gotten three years in prison, but at the same time, it's kept her from appearing in any Marvel properties. Ultimately, I reckon she dodged a bullet there. <laughs> it's like, if we have to find any positive... In Allison Mack, one, being in a cult, two, doing terrible things while in that cult, and then three, serving three years in prison for the things that she did. Yeah, I would I would say she's definitely got a lot to be thankful for in, in that regard. Um, it is kind of crazy, though, that she, who clearly also was a victim of the, uh, of the mind control, of the uh, psychological abuse that was received by other members of the cult, that she even though she pleaded guilty, still got three years in prison. Um, and again, I understand why, because she did some terrible things, but there's other people also in that process who did terrible things too, but because, and this is the reason why I'm not a huge fan of, of the court system in, in different ways, but it just, especially after watching the second documentary, which deals with one member who is the daughter of a, a major star, like an old school star, someone who was one of the stars of, of Dynasty, uh, of the original Dynasty, and I honestly think that one of the reasons why she got off was because, not because she was giving evidence and not because she was helping, but I, I think rather probably because of the fact that she did come from royalty, that she did come from, uh, she did come from a lot of money, which again is, is just really sad. But yeah, it, it's just, it's honestly crazy. If, if you don't know anything about Nexium, once you dive in, you're like, oh my goodness, I had no idea this was actually going on. King and Rumshki over on Rumble says, that figurine you got reminded me of the Puppet Master movies. Your thoughts on them? I've never seen them. Uh, again, that's usually not my cup of tea as far as genres of film. Uh, Bianca Zombie, what's going on? Welcome back. Appreciate you being there. Gary Banjo Sandwich Worthington, hello to you. Welcome back. Your average patriot nerd, what's going on? Hardwick then says, Citadel was created by Amazon as an international franchise to spin off into shows made by artists for each country in their own language. Spinoffs from Italy and India have been greenlit. Uh, I really don't have any interest in the show still. I know that you posted something on the Discord today, but as I think I mentioned on the <laughs> on the the show I did with the Salty Nerd podcast this this past Saturday, it, it just it doesn't really sound very interesting, and it sounds like a giant waste of money from Amazon. So I, again, I'm glad that you are passionate about that, but I'm again 
I hope that this gets through. I, I, I just, I don't care. All right, Super Anime Gamer, what's up? He says, hey, what is up, my dude? What's going on? Bad News C7, hanging out over on Rumble. What's going on? What's going on? Again, thank you very much for the thumbs up, John W. 78, appreciate that. Sherry Allen says, I'm good, been visiting with family that I haven't seen for 10 years. Well, hey, I'm glad to hear that you've been able to spend some time with family. It's a figurine. Okay, thank you, Laura. Thank you. I appreciate the proper nomenclature for that. All right, so thank you, Andy Masterson, for the figurine, for the Templar Odin figurine. Again, I think it, I think it looks awesome. I mean, again, just look at this guy. I wouldn't mess with this guy. I don't know why anyone else would want to mess with this guy, but apparently people still do. <laughs> Michael Brammer, what is going on? Welcome back. Uh, Steven, who is a member, tagged to say, why do you think some YouTubers like Campia are praising Little Mermaid's success for domestic box office and avoid mentioning the flop it's having worldwide? Um, well, for one, many of them have an agenda. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Uh, two, in the case of Campia, we know as a fact that he is a shill. He has been nominated for shill of the year every single year, has never won. Because he's the person where it's like, we know he is the ultimate shill, but there's other people that really deserve it a lot more in any given year for, for a wide variety of reasons, right? He stays the same while everyone else is a little bit different, some people a little bit worse or not. But uh, it is a good question. It does lead to the first thing I wanted to talk about today, which is the Little Mermaid box office. And so with Steven's question, let's go ahead and just talk about it and why people like John Campia and anyone else who's saying that that right now the Little Mermaid's doing really, really well is just is missing a lot of, of data and missing a lot of context. All right, so first, let, let us see the current numbers for the Little Mermaid. So this is from thenumbers.com, and this is the Monday numbers. What's also is interesting is obviously we had a three-day weekend, and it is the Tuesday after. And so the numbers actually came in a little bit higher than what they had been originally projected. It was originally projected to be around a $21, $22 million Monday for Memorial Day. Ended up doing around 23.2, a 15% drop from Sunday. But again, with the holiday weekend, that is to be expected. Now, people are looking at this and saying, well, wait a minute. It's made $118.8 million domestically. That, that's a huge number. That, that is a success. That, that is a better number. And this is the other line that you're hearing a lot. It did better than Aladdin. And Aladdin made over a billion dollars. That's the lie. That, that's where you say, oh, I say nay, nay. Excuse me, Mr. Campia. Excuse me. Excuse me. Let's just reverse that for a second. And this goes for anyone else covering it, right? Okay, it made $118.8 million. It was able to beat Aladdin from 2019. Good for you. You know what number from 2019 it was not able to beat Aladdin's International? Oh, that's right. Just as Steven had indicated earlier, you can't really forget that number. Because in comparison to the $118.8 million number, the fact that it came out in almost every single major market bar one, except for one being Japan, it is in a, an abysmal state. All right, let's look at the numbers. All right, so firstly, let's look at the full numbers. All right, 118.8 sounds nice, but then you got to bring in the fact that it only made $68.3 million internationally. So that would be China, France, Germany, any major country in the international market it came out in, with, again, the only exception being Japan. But I think we've figured out at this point that Japan would not have made that much of a difference in this opening. Western films in general only make a certain amount of money. Some of them can make hundreds of millions of dollars even, right? Or at least a little over $100 million, I should say. But it's not a guarantee of, of massive success nonetheless. 
But look at these numbers here. All right, look at these numbers here. $187.1 million. That is an abysmal opening weekend. Just as a frame of context, because this is the number I have in the back of my mind, the opening international weekend, right? The entire opening weekend for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness was $450 million. $450 million opening weekend for that movie. $187 million for this movie. So hopefully from that, obviously we're talking about, there are some differences. It's not the best one to come off the top of my head, but that is the only one that I really have trapped in my brain right now. But $187 million worldwide. Okay, well, that's a problem. That's a big problem. You want to know why? Okay, let's go ahead and compare these movies. So first, let us take thenumbers.com. All right, so I've pulled up some of the other live action, and I would say that with quotes because some of them are technically live action. Others, like Lion King, are just, oh, you know, it's all animated, but we made it look realistic, so who knows what we're going to call it at this point. But I've gone ahead and compared these movies to one another, right, comparing up to The Little Mermaid. As you can see, I do have the adjusted for inflation numbers on here. And there are some that I can't fit because they only have six slots on this chart. So let's show this one first, but then I'll show you the numbers that I did. I'll show you the, the number cracking that I did on this one, all right? So firstly, Little Mermaid costs quite a bit of money, right? $250 million, all right? And that's not the most expensive of the films, right? You look back to Lion King, that one costs almost $300 million when you adjust for inflation. That's insane. That is absolutely insane. But let's look ahead at these opening weekends. These are the domestic opening weekends, all right? So the domestic opening... Four, The Little Mermaid, 95.5. That's the three-day opening, all right? The three-day opening. That means adjusted for inflation, what do you get? Lion King from 2019, $218 million. Oh, 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 this made only half of, of what Lion King made? Oh, boy. Well, that doesn't sound very good. Oh, well, maybe maybe it did good compared to Beauty and the Beast. Oh, wait, no, Beauty and the Beast when adjusted. Oh, it only, it made less than half of Beauty and the Beast. Ooh, oh boy. Oh, wait a minute, Cinderella from 2015. That was like the first one that really got things going, right? Hey, look at that. It beat that one by 10 million, by only 10 million. Don't forget, by the way, that the average ticket price at the time of Cinderella was a lot less than it is today. So you're probably looking at about the same number of tickets, roughly, maybe even more for Cinderella. Oh boy, that doesn't look very good. All right, wait a minute. Okay, we finally see a victory, guys. We finally see a victory. $52 million adjusted for Dumbo. Ooh, boy, Dumbo. Well, remember, Dumbo was actually the only live-action flop from Disney uh, up until now. I honestly think Little Mermaid is going to be the second one. But Dumbo, it made $52 million in its opening. And ultimately, I remember covering this back in the day. The reason why this film was such a major flop was because it was so dark that a lot of families just didn't want to go see it. it. It was such a dark turn and such a dark tone on the movie that a lot of people just had no interest in it whatsoever. But then let's also compare it to Aladdin, right? Because that was the number, that was the number that kept being brought up by the likes of Deadline. I'm sure Campia brought it up and others. Aladdin, oh, wait a minute. When you actually adjust those numbers, 104 million dollars. Pinocchio is not on here and Mulan is not on here and I've not used them because Mulan for one and even the live action Pinocchio, neither of them got theatrical releases and so therefore it's not valid. It is not a valid comparison because those films did not get theatrical releases or in the case of Mulan, it 
got a very, very, very limited theatrical release because it was day and date release on, on Disney Plus because of COVID. So these are the actual live action uh, official releases, okay? So out of all of these movies, you got Cinderella from 2015, which is again, uh, maybe you have an argument there, but not a very good one. And then that means the only argument you have is that The Little Mermaid is essentially the second worst performing of the live action films. If you actually look at like ticket sale prices. And let's go ahead and, and let's let's further dive into that. By the way, Dumbo, it indeed was a box office flop. $353 million was the entire box office for that one. Just so you know, I, you know, ultimately I calculate 2.5 times the budget is your break-even. It only made 2.1. So if your break-even is 2.5, it's a flop. If your break-even is three times, it's an even bigger flop. So it was a big, big failure for Disney. But I went ahead and I broke the numbers down, okay? So all these numbers here have been adjusted. So let's go ahead and go in order here. So I've not done all of the live action films because obviously when it comes to movies like live action Pinocchio or the uh, the live action Mulan, those movies really can't be calculated in any way, all right? So let's go back in 2015. Let's go back in time just a little bit. Let me see if I can uh, blow this up a little bit so that it's a little easier for y'all to see. All right, so back in 2015, okay? So the actual budget for uh, for 2015 Cinderella was around $95 million. So when you adjust, that's 123.5. All right, its opening weekend when adjusted is 88.2 million. So as you can see already, 88.2 million versus the comparison over here, they had it at 84. So that's a $4 million difference. So this is, again, the reason why you always want to take that calculation given by the numbers with a grain of salt because it's close but they don't have the up-to-date metrics as far as the rate of inflation is concerned, okay? So, again, it's usually going to be pretty close, but it's not always. It usually is a pretty, it's still a pretty good way to use that as a metric. But anyway, using the actual rate of inflation, $88 million. That equates to roughly 8 million tickets on its opening weekend specifically, all right? Average ticket price at that time was around $8.42. $8.42. And so it sold about 8 million tickets, all right, let's go to the Jungle Book from 2016. $224 million budget, $132 million adjusted. And so here's where you start to really see the differences, right? The Little Mermaid made $95 million. Well, let's look at all the other ones. Adjusted for inflation using the current metrics, $232 million opening weekend for Lion King. Aladdin, $110.7 million. Oh, it didn't be. Oh, okay, it didn't beat Aladdin, actually. And in fact... Look at those ticket sales. And again, I'm using the metric that today's average ticket price is $10.45. And shout out to WW Pro. Uh, you can check him out as well. He also covers the box office uh, as well as Valiant Renegade. But it was WW Pro who actually uh, mentioned this on a stream that I was on with him this past Saturday. That the average ticket price, some argue, is actually closer to $13 to $14. So I have it at $10.45 and it has 9 million tickets. If you raise that, if you raise that average ticket price to what some believe it actually to be, which is a little higher, guess what? That movie then starts to lose to Cinderella and actually starts to get downwards of maybe even the Dumbo level of ticket sales. Ooh, that ain't good. That is not good. All right, but let's continue going in order, right? So $110 million for Aladdin. Dumbo's opening weekend, as I said, just for inflation. Okay, it beats Dumbo. It beats Dumbo. Beauty and the Beast 2017, $218 million. Jungle Book. Even Jungle Book, 132 million, and then Cinderella, 88. So what you're seeing from this is that it's the third worst performing out of all of them. So that's why I say 
even if you're going to choose to go with this narrative, even if you're going to choose to say, well, domestically, it's doing great. Is it really, though? Because I've just shown you these numbers here. And what you're seeing is that it's nowhere. I mean, look at the ticket sales, too. All right. And again, these are all estimates. But half the tickets, more than half less tickets opening weekend than The Lion King. All right. Lion King was huge. Lion King was big. But still, that's where this film is in comparison. Underneath where Aladdin was. Half as much as Beauty and the Beast. Underneath Jungle Book. And really, when you're breaking things down, about equating to Cinderella. Now, Cinderella, in the long term, after the finality of its run, only ended up making $422.9 million. And so that movie, because it didn't cost nearly as much... Right, I believe we can look at that film. We'll go ahead and check that live because we like to do things live here. So $542 million. That film made yeah, 5.7 times its production budget because, again, this is using the unadjusted numbers comparing to the unadjusted numbers, and so that's why it would be accurate there. Um, so, again, it was able to make its money back. It was able to make profit. All right, We're not seeing the same story for this one. And the last thing I'll mention about this one specifically, All right, looking at the box office charting, all right? And we'll focus on Fast 10 a little later. But let's look at these numbers, all right? $250 million budget, all right? Again, my typical break-even is about 2.5 times the budget. That would put the film around $625 million to break even. Now, some people have the metric at three. So let's go ahead and just show that for a sake of comparison for those that want to know. So between $625 and $750 million is what the break-even point for this movie likely is. Now, here's the big issue, though, with this. All right, so here's a little metric that I've been playing with. As you all know, I base my official estimates on the first two weeks of release. And so we still have a few days to go. We still have to wait for those first two weeks to actually come out there, right? When we look at the fa- when we look at the drop off from, from week one to week two, we're gonna be able to have with pretty decent accuracy what the film will likely end up making by the end of its run. What I decided to start playing around with is I was wondering, hey, you know what? Since I've got all this data in here, right? I've got all this data going back to 2019 of not just the first two weeks worldwide, but also, of course, opening weekend. Is there a trend? Is there an average that we can look to to maybe speculate, even after one week, what we could expect from this movie? Now, this may not be news uh, to, to anyone else. There might be even a better way of working this out. But this was something that I decided to play around with today, and I found it somewhat interesting. All right? So first, let's go ahead and look at these percentages, all right? So for instance, opening weekend of Hypnotic was about 47% of what it's made so far. Opening weekend of Love Again was 23% of its entire end total. Uh, Let's see, what else can we look to? Jesus Revolution had 30%. Marlowe had 78% in its opening weekend. So as you can see, there's quite a range here, but there's a number you're seeing a lot, and that's the number three. And so I did an average of all of these numbers here. And guess what the average, as you see, a lot of data. The average, the all-around average of opening week worldwide compared to end total was about 35%. So roughly a third of a movie's entire run is made in its opening weekend, roughly, all right, on average. And so if we just take that out for a second, okay, how much did Little Mermaid make in its opening weekend? About $118 million. Let's go ahead and go back into the chart just to make sure because I know it's currently at a certain number versus what did it actually make. So Little Mermaid, sorry. Uh, Little Mermaid, uh, the worldwide opening weekend was 163 
$6.8 million worldwide. So let's go ahead and just say 164, all right? If that's a third, right? If that's a third, then you are looking at the film's end total, roughly, on average, being around $492 million. Let's say maybe it does a little bit better than the average, maybe a little bit better because of those domestic numbers. You're still looking at this rounding at around $500 million. Now, again, we'll have a much more accurate because, as you saw, there was a lot of volatility comparing those first weekend numbers to the final result. And that's why those first two weeks, as I said, I did a lot of research on that years ago. And I saw that there was a very consistent theme of most movies falling between around 50% to 70%, right? So making either more than two-thirds in their first two weeks of release or about half in their first two weeks of release. And there's a lot more uh, stability there. But it is interesting nonetheless to kind of look at this number and say, okay, if this number is an average performing movie worldwide, and right now it's it's actually more of a below average movie in many respects, you're looking at the film to cap, capping out around $500 million worldwide. Even my more generous, according to some, break even a 2.5, this film comes in still $125 million underneath that. Now, whether it's going to make that much or not is still too early to tell. And again, I'll know a lot more next weekend. But let's just say early indication is this movie is not a success. And even if you were to make the argument that domestically it's doing fantastic, I just showed you all of the data to show you why. Well, actually, it's not really doing all that well. In fact, it's one of the worst domestic performing live action Disney adaptations. Now, how is that for a record? <laughs> Anyway, all right, that's enough for that section. Let's go back into the chat. Again, tag at Ode at the very beginning of your comment, at Ode if you have a comment or a question. Starting off over on Rumble, though, King and Rumsky says, do you think we will ever see a red-headed woman in a movie again? Uh, not naturally. Not naturally, I would say. <laughs> oh, goodness. But anyway, let's see. Abomination. Uh, over on Odyssey says, when I checked, there was 3 million from Japan and China. Those countries were only in the top 10, but there were there was 66 million from other. Yeah, uh, and he then went on to say the numbers. So here's the issue with the numbers. So the numbers, what they will do is they will put in the total, and then when they're divvying it up between the different countries, it, it takes a little while, all right? It takes a little while for their data entry. So just to give you an example... So, for instance, as of right now, the only countries they've actually put in, like in their actual charting, is around 4.6 million from Italy, 4 million from Australia, 2.6 million from China, and then less than a million from uh, from New Zealand and Finland. And then if you go to here, you'll see, again, these are the numbers that have been inputs thus far. And so, again, Japan has not opened there yet. And so there is no number. There is no, uh, there is no value actually there at this point in time. But if you actually look at this, an opening weekend in China of $2.6 million, that is abysmal. That is, that is atrocious. And as again, you can see, they have not updated these other numbers yet because they have not gotten them yet. Uh, so they will start to update over time. But the fact that again, you're looking at several major markets that this movie has come out in, and this is all that it has to show for it. That that's awful. That's terrible. So hopefully that makes a little bit more sense. But the numbers does fall behind in divvying up where the money actually came from. So again, typically the number is given as far as the general report of how much was made worldwide. 
And then in their charting, in their data entry, they over time will specify, okay, it's this much from this country and this much from this country, et cetera. So, but yeah, looking at those numbers, when your highest number for an opening weekend internationally is 4.6 million from Italy, oh boy. And that's not, a, that's not a, a rag against Italy. It's just, that's not typically where you go. Uh, Miss Minozaka fan says, been working on the plots for a couple of books I'm working on. I remember you mentioned those earlier. Uh, one is the first of a trilogy centered around two brothers and is hugely based on my take on King Arthur and the Robin Hood stories. That's awesome. Nice. Laura says, the important question is, does Minnie Odin have Kung Fu grip? <laughs> no, but, but he does have a lot of hands. And I know that's a very odd statement out of context. But I don't know if this is a common practice in the figurine industry. But there are replaceable hands. That's a bag full of hands right there. <laughs> and I uh, appreciate, again... Andy Masterson for letting me know how to do that. Apparently, you can switch them out, and there's a certain way to do it. But again, that's that's awesome. So <laughs> he does have kung fu kung fu uh, kung fu grip, but he does have a lot of hands. Oh, did I see what you did there? Says Fast Nine made seven hundred thirty million dollars at the box office. So Fast Ten already at five hundred fifty million is okay. No. So, yeah, we'll, we're going to get to Fast 10 a little later since I just spent a lot of time on the Little Mermaid box office. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to Fast 9 and Fast 10. But here is the ultimate issue. If you just compare the numbers between the last film and the most recent film, you'll see that it's not in a good trend. In fact, this is one of this is the lowest grossing opening. This is the lowest opening weekend for a Fast and Furious film since Tokyo Drift. Tokyo Drift has the only other lowest um, opening weekend when you actually adjust the numbers. And if you look at average ticket sales, the the projections on that, if that's something that you have a a lot more confidence in, same thing. And that's why inflation works very well. It has almost the same exact showing as ticket sales do or as ticket ticket estimates have. And it is, again, also the lowest uh, number of tickets sold for a Fast and Furious film, with the only exception being Tokyo Drift. So that is the ultimate reason as to why $550 million at the box office is not a great start. It is not a great sign. And, and we'll go into those numbers a little bit um, towards the end. But anyway, let's see. Hardwick, let's see, says, I didn't find out until recently that the Equalizer movies with Denzel Washington are a reboot. The original was a 1985 TV series starring Edward Woodward. William Zabka played his son. Interesting. Yeah, I, I finally watched those two films. I think I mentioned that on a previous stream. And, and I liked them. I thought they were fun. Uh, Scott McKenzie says, Babylon 5 is an excellent, is excellent, and still stands up. Watched it when first on and a couple of times since. Uh, joy, especially the worldview, religious, and philosophical underpinnings to it. Yeah, I know a lot of people said I would probably enjoy that. Um... Uh, for that very reason, because I did enjoy those elements of DS9. So, yeah. You said the same thing this morning, man. Welcome back. Uh, Laura says, Elemental looks lame. No plans to see it. Yeah, it, it just doesn't look good. And I think that that's the big problem, right? Is they used to be able to come up with ideas that seemed intriguing enough to get a lot of people to show up, right? You, you go back even just a few years, and you go to a movie like Inside Out, that movie was great. I don't think it was as great as films like Up or as some of their older collaborations, 
but it was still a really good movie. It was still a very, very good movie. And so it's just fascinating to see how Disney Pixar has fallen so far. But also when you take things in context and you remember what has Disney been up to, what has Disney been pushing, what has Disney been promoting, oh boy, they're in a lot of trouble. If The Little Mermaid's going to flop, and right now it's looking like it is, and if it's going to lose quite a bit of money, and right now it looks like it is, and then Elemental is not looking like it's going to have that much of a box office either, they've got, I'm trying to think of any other Disney project coming out this year where they could expect to have a massive return on investment. Because what, you've got Indiana Jones 5? Come on. And then other than Indiana Jones 5, what else do you have after that? Oh, the Marvels? Come on. Because even though I have been one of the few, it seems, that has been very open and honest about how successful Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 has been, because it's been a huge success thus far, I've also tried to make clear that just because this one singular film in this specific franchise with these specific characters is doing well, especially because of positive word of mouth, does not mean that the MCU itself as a franchise, as an entity, is in any good position. Think of it as Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, Mania, Mania, was their jumping off point for the phase coming up, right? Was was, was launching their, their next big bad. And then Guardians was, all right, now we're just going to take a little side trip. We're, we're going away, really, from all of that, and we're just going to tell a self-contained, within-this-universe story. And a lot of people seem to have enjoyed it. But that's not continuing that universe and that story. So right now, they're kind of stuck in that, okay, the last real thing as far as the MCU, as far as the actual building up of the universe was concerned, was Quantumania. And that was a flop. And that lost money. They're in a lot of trouble. Disney's in a lot of trouble. I would not be surprised to see their stock continue to support. Or rather, continue to fall. All right, let's see. Uh, Odin says, do you think Guardians of the Galaxy is getting the Top Gun 2 type support? No. Just compare the numbers between those two. They're not the same whatsoever. Um, And then goes on to say, because Chris Pratt, i.e. conservatives, rewatching it to finally support it, kind of like... Uh, kind of like the left did with Black Panther. Uh, again, Odin, I, <laughs> I don't like how you've actually chosen my name because I'm, I'm, I'm going to be critical of your comments here. So I don't like you know, breaking things down by political ideology. Black Panther didn't make money because a bunch of lefties were like, we're going to go support this movie because it's leftist. That, that's, that's very ignorant. <laughs> it's, just not, it's just not based on reality. The reason why Black Panther made a lot of money is because one... Enough people found it entertaining to want to go see it more than once. There are people out there who actually genuinely did enjoy that movie. Just like there are with almost any of these movies. It's not always going to be because of political ideology. You don't always go see a movie or not see a movie because of your politics. That's that's a very myopic way of thinking. All right. So now are there some people who did love Top Gun Maverick who are going to see this one? Sure. That could be the case. But it's definitely not to the same level because on the one hand, you have Top Gun Maverick, which made over a billion dollars. And then you have this movie in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which is not going to make a billion dollars. And it's not even close to the same level, either domestically or internationally. It's because the reason why this film is doing well is because you have a story that is resonating with enough people to create a positive word of mouth that is making people either one, see it more than once, or two, 
say, hey, this is actually a good one. This is actually not bad. This one's actually not terrible. Doesn't make it a good movie. Again, there's a lot of problems that I have with it. And yet, I'm still looking at it to say, but I also know the word of mouth on it's been good. And I can understand why people would have actually enjoyed it. So... Yeah, but trying to break it into political ideology like that is just not it's just not accurate. Again, Black Panther didn't make money because because of politics. Some people might want to think that, but that's just not the case. Anyway, Mr. Minnesota fan says the second one takes place about 220 years after the main trilogy and it's inspired by The Little Mermaid, Cinderella and Snow White. Nice. Ben Dowdy, what's going on? Welcome back. Jeremy Zakowski. To have to say, Little Mermaid's box office numbers are quote-unquote impressive, and it's a billion-dollar hit, according to people on social media. Me doing awkward monkey meme after reading their post. Yeah, again, these are people who just don't understand, right? They don't follow this stuff on a regular basis. They don't recognize what's been going on with the box office for, for, you know, for years, but most especially over the past year. And so, of course, they're going to think that. It's the same people who will come into my comment section saying, what do you mean it's, it's broken? What do you mean it's a flop? It only costs $100 million, and it's already made that. Right? Name any movie that has that. So a lot of them will look at this movie, and for them, they'll think $250 million is a break-even point because they don't, rec- they don't recognize and they don't understand that, no, 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 that's the production budget. You then have to tack on to that over $100 million for, for marketing because that's a, that's a separate charge that's a separate spending and then you also have to remember that the studios are not getting 100% of those box office sales they're having to split that with the studios and the theaters right the theaters and studios have that have a split studios get a little bit more than that it's about a 60 40 split or so but they, again they, they don't want to think that way <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why I do what I do because I discovered this back when I was you know covering solo a star wars story and I, I found it interesting. I found it fascinating. And and here we are four or five years later and people are still coming back. <laughs> people are still coming back to hear me talk about math and to hear me talk about numbers, which is just such an insane concept to me. But it's awesome that something that I kind of fell into and, and really became just very interested in and passionate about has now become the passion of other people, too. It's cool. It's really cool. Uh, Pilgrim Media, thank you for the $2 super chat. Sorry, it took me a little while to get there. But it says, Odin, appreciate your content and movie reviews. Well, thank you, Pilgrim Media. Thank you, Pilgrim. I appreciate that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I am unfortunately going to be watching the <laughs> Spider-Man film this week. Uh, Gary's making us watch it. I honestly don't have much interest in it. I know a lot of people like the first Spider-Verse movie. I thought the story was actually pretty good, and then the animation just drove me nuts. That that stop and go animation style just was just did not work. <laughs> it just was very annoying, um, and I'm sad to see them continue it in in this one. Um, but I'll let y'all know whether or not it's it's any good. I imagine I'm probably still going to come out of it hating it because of the animation style. Uh, but with the last one, I could still have admitted it and still do that the story was was actually not bad. But we'll we'll have to wait and see, of course. But I think that's like the next major review on the channel. I do have a copy of, let me see. Yeah, I thought I had it had it next to me. So I still need to watch it, but a shout out to Paramount. They sent me a copy of Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Amongst Thieves. So I'll be checking this one out uh, as soon as I can. But uh, over an hour of special features, if you want to get the 4K edition, it's it's available now on physical and digital media platforms. So I'll let y'all know if that one's any good. I've heard good things about it. People actually said it's not actually that bad. It's actually quite entertaining. 
So, anyway. Uh, Obi-Wan27883, thank you for the $5 super chat. Says, LOL, Ben Shapiro. New York Times review of Little Mermaid. Laments lack of kink in kids' movie. Yeah, that's the other thing too, right? And I think that kind of review is just going to make, especially since it's got it got picked up and got spread by other news outlets and other places, guess what that means? That means that you already have a, a parent class that is w- very wary of Disney, that is not very uh, confident and is not very supportive of what Disney is doing. And, and we can see that especially when it comes to the lack of of viewers they're getting on a lot of their Disney Plus content and also the lack of people going to see their movies, especially their kids' movies, right? So now you've got that coming out about this movie, about kink. Why in the world is the word kink being used anywhere within 10 feet, 20 feet, 100 feet, 10,000 yards of a kids' movie? That, that That's insane, And that's one of the many reasons as to why I think Disney is losing losing the kids, but more specifically is losing the families. The families are saying, "Uh, no thank you, Disney. I don't want you teaching this crap to my kids. No thank you, Disney. I'll take care of that on my own. So that's crazy, though. Yeah. It's not looking good. It's not looking good for them at all. Orange Hat Reviews, who is a member, says, Whenever I hear Elemental, I think of the Sherlock Holmes series with Lucy Liu and Johnny Lee Miller. Yeah, 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 yeah. My wife watched that series. She liked it. She actually liked it. Let's see. Over on Rumble, Kinkan Rumsky says, Thoughts, predictions on Indiana Jones 5? I think it's going to suck. The, the trailer alone doesn't look good. So... I don't think it's going to be good, and I don't think it's going to make a lot of money. In fact, I think it has a good chance of being a massive financial loss. Um, I believe the last I checked, I think the box office, I think the uh, the budget for that movie ballooned to $290 million, if I'm not mistaken. So you're looking at a movie that needs to make, oh my goodness, just as a frame of reference here. So if the $290 million budget stands, because that obviously could update at any time, uh, based on my metrics, that you're talking about it needs to make $725 million minimum to break even. Some people might have that over $800 million to break even. Oh boy, that ain't good. So that's in a lot of trouble. And then Bad News C7 on Rumble says, did Black Panther 2 have any political influence? Same question for Top Gun 2. There really, there was no overt politicization in Top Gun 2. I'm sure you could definitely look and see. I know some people early on had had concerns because in the trailer, people noticed that the patch for uh, Taiwan that had been on the original jacket that Maverick wore was was removed. And we found out later that it had been CGI'd, removed to try to placate China and ended up not getting released in China anyway. And uh, it was not actually too long before its release that they ended up re-releasing their trailer and the patch was there and was re uh, was reinstated and was still there. And the movie never took it out at any point. Um, so I guess that's like the closest you can get to it. But really, there's no politics in it. And I think that's one of the reasons why it does so well. For Black Panther 2, it, it's so hard to remember because honestly, I think some people were looking. I know Tim Pool had a whole rant about how political and how racist the movie was. Um, in certain respects, and I'm not saying he was wrong on those fronts. 
it just some some of the things he did was a some of the ways he explained it just seemed like a, a little bit of a stretch um but definitely a little bit more political in that one um and, and that's why you saw that film lost quite a bit of its audience remember the first black panther made well over a 1.3 billion dollars black panther 2 came in at 850 million dollars so that's still decent all right that's still enough to make up its its budget and everything but not by a whole lot that that one was actually not a big money maker for them so you know based on the numbers that we have so yeah not 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 good <laughs> let's see over on odyssey what's going on odyssey uh, abomination says pixar been going downhill without the old man playing chess against himself oh man that's one of the best animated shorts they ever made i i love that one uh jacques Lesuave says is disney really too big to fail between the movies disney plus hemorrhaging subs the parks losing out to universal and the whole florida ready creek business is there any realistic chance of collapse or at the very least selling off lots of ips i don't think we're going to see them sell off any ips i i, I just don't it would be i think even myself not a fan of disney would say it would be a really bad idea for them to do so. The issue they have is they've got these very valuable IPs and they are just either one, not doing anything with them, or two, they are driving them into the ground. <laughs> so obviously I, I wish that they would because maybe they could give it to studios that would actually do something with it or actually improve upon it. But I don't because one, they are, they are still too valuable to, to give up and to lose. And I've said this for a long time. The only way that Disney is going to actually start to change, and we are starting to see this to quite a degree, is when the shareholders actually start to speak up. And even though Disney as a company has lost quite a bit of value, the last couple of years especially, you still see it has, a it still does have a very high value. So what I mean is that it's lost a lot, but it still has a lot. So it's not that necessarily it's too big to fail. It's just that it's so big, it's going to take a lot longer to fail, if that makes any sense. So anyway, all right, updated over there. Let's go back into the YouTube chat. It's 7.58 in real life. It's about 7.15 in the chat. So again, I fall behind. So please be patient with me. Thank you. Super Anime Gamer tried to say, it seems to me like Disney doesn't even care about Pixar anymore. Marketing for Lightyear, Strange World, and now Elemental seems non-existent. I forgot the movie was even happening. Again, I, I, I mentioned this before. There is another movie coming out from another company uh, about, about a girl teenage kraken. I've seen that trailer more than I have seen the Elemental trailer. That That's not good. That's not good. Uh, Robert Kerr mentioned Amazon. This was in reference to uh, any other studio that has had an impact or has had... Uh, has spoken out to such a degree as Disney has regarding review bombing, etc. Yeah, and I would definitely say that that is a that's definitely a legitimate one. But that also is as as a TV series, so it's a it's it's slightly different. But I definitely think it's still a fair uh, fair thing to bring up, nonetheless. All right, Chaz jumped at me like it always does. Uh, let's see, Osmodias, welcome back to the chat. Appreciate you being here. And again, if you have a comment or question, and if you want me to read it out loud, uh, please put at over the very beginning of your comment. Otherwise, I skip over it. It helps me stay sane. Uh, Coliseum Builders says there was 5,000 verified tomato reviews. 
that would cost a study about $75,000 to do a review bomb. A drop in the bucket for a film marketing budget. Plus, you can't see past reviews for them. Yeah, I mean, I honestly don't really use Rotten Tomatoes anymore. I could probably count on one hand the times I've actually gone to the physical site um, in the last year or two because I, I try to avoid it. I try to use Metacritic, not because Metacritic's amazing or anything, but I just find it to be a little bit more... Uh, reliable. I actually do appreciate Metacritic's methodology as well. I, I find it interesting how they convert certain names, uh, or rather certain letter grades into uh, number grades. But I mean, even for them over there, right? I guess this is going to be more, it's like you would have to say every single site that exists has some kind of review bomb, all right? Because here's what Metacritic has to say about it, all right? So one, a 59 out of 100 score from their critics, if you actually go to Rotten Tomatoes, because I, I remember I've, I've done this uh, study previously, don't look at the Rotten Tomatoes actual score because that is a lie. You can give a movie on Rotten Tomatoes, you can give a movie on Rotten Tomatoes a bad review, but if you, as long as you click the fresh button on there, if you have a review that you can put up, then that means that that counts as fresh. So you can have a film that has a 95% fresh rating, but if you look at the individual reviews and individual scores, it's 30 points below that. So if you were to go to Rotten Tomatoes right now, the last time I heard Little Mermaid was hovering around, what, 70% or so from the critics? Go into the average rating, and I bet you the average rating is going to be somewhat close to 5.9 out of 10. In that range, you know, give or take a few points. So you have that firstly, but then also this is their score out of 10 for the reviews out of 657 ratings on, on Metacritic. And not a lot of people use Metacritic, by the way, 2.1 out of 10. So they would have to say that there is a massive conspiracy online of people going to every single review site that's ever existed just so that they can drive down the score artificially of a movie. Now look, I understand there are some people in the world that do care about the Rotten Tomatoes score. They do exist. I've mentioned it before. I had someone who was spraying for bugs. They saw my setup and they asked, oh, what is this? What do you do? And I mentioned it. And when I mentioned talking about movies, one of the first things they said was, oh, are you going to go see this? And I said, ah, uh, maybe. Yeah, I, I heard it. You know, I saw, I was looking at Rotten Tomatoes the other day and I saw it was really good. People do that. You know, people do that, right? People actually do use that metric to determine whether they're going to see a movie. I don't agree with that, but hey, it happens. Orange Eye Reviews. Uh, what's going on? It says, I hope that Alison Mack can be deprogrammed and rehabilitated. I thought she was very good in Smallville. She was great in Smallville. She's actually a very talented actress. Oh, uh, in one of the docuseries that I was watching on that, right, on, on the Nexium cult, they do mention that they had at least heard Alison Mack. One, she did, uh, she did uh, plead guilty in that trial where the cult leader was being, uh, was sentenced to over 100 years uh, well, well deserved based on the evidence that was, that was being, uh, brought forward, but she did plead guilty. So she did not stand with him there. And one of the persons that was in the documentary who had been a member of, of the cult says that she had heard that Allison Mack had actually gone to therapy and had, uh, recognized the, the issues that she had gone through. So 
I hope that's true, and, and I'm happy to hear that. Jacob Reed, I will be your champion and eat the pineapple pizza for you. I love it, so I'll nobly fall on my sword. <laughs> Not much of a sword if you like it. <laughs> uh, e. Boyd, what's going on, E. Boyd? Oh, my goodness. Now I feel old. Uh, I just graduated. Uh, thank you for the memories. I hope all is well. Well, E. Boyd, I don't know if you're still listening, man, but thank you so much for that. Uh, I get, I am so sad that I was not able to, to go back, um, you know, during those subsequent years of, of the students that I had taught and had influenced. So, uh, again, I, I hope and pray that your, the rest of your, uh, high school time went really well. And, and I'm happy to hear that you've graduated, that you've graduated. Congratulations, man. And, and God bless you. And God bless you in your pursuits in the future. Assume college is in your future. Thank you for coming back, man. Odin says, did you know that Captain Marvel is the most reviewed movie ever on all sites like Rotten Tomatoes? It has double the amount of reviews as Endgame. Well, yeah, and you want to know why, Odin? It's because of the fact that there was claims that there was review bombing, you know, and Disney complained about it, and then Rotten Tomatoes changed their entire system, and so therefore, you had people's reviews being removed in certain instances, you had a lot of fishy stuff happening. I remember I did a Rotten Tomatoes stream on my old second channel that was actually covering them changing the reviews, like literally deleting reviews. So it makes sense that it's the most reviewed because they had never done that with another movie before. So you have people who are trying to review it. Then you have people who see the reviews are being removed. And so they're trying to add them again. And ultimately, you're creating a system where now there's so much attention on this one movie, everyone's trying to get in, everyone's trying to see what's going on, everyone's trying to test it out for themselves, it makes complete sense that it's going to have the most. It's not because of the movie, <laughs> I could say that much. Let's see, Hardwick. Uh, do you think that Dial of Destiny will inspire a backlash on the level of The Last Jedi? I think that one scene in particular is going to anger many fans. I don't think it's going to be The Last Jedi le levels, I honestly think it's going to be worse. Because... Here's the thing. I know that some people are going to say, and maybe they honestly do feel this way, that when it came down to Star Wars and the reboot, that they've known. You know, there's some people who will say, I've known since The Force Awakens. I wasn't fooled by The Force Awakens. Again, that very well could be true. I don't want to call anybody a liar on that. But I think there are some people who are probably trying to rewrite the history on that. Personally, I thought that it was a very entertaining movie. I did recognize at the time, okay, this is kind of a you know, a beat-for-beat beat remake of A New Hope. It is borrowing a ton of themes, but hey, it's the first movie in the franchise and the restart of the franchise, so as long as it's going somewhere, I'm willing to forgive it. Okay, well, then it didn't go anywhere, right? Then The Last Jedi happened, and we're like, oh, okay, so everything that I had concerns about in the first movie ha have now been magnified and multiplied, and now there's a whole lot of other stuff that that's just really bad on top of it. That's not what's going on with Dial of Destiny, okay? Now, I am of the mind that there are only three Indiana Jones movies. That's it. There are three Indiana Jones movies. However, there are some in the world, okay? We talked about cults and we talked about conspiracies, right? So there are some people who believe there's this little film called Crystal Skull, right? There's some who believe there's this fourth Indiana Jones that's somewhere out there, right? Um, and apparently, according to them, it's it's terrible. According to them, it's trash. According to them, it's, it, it's just abysmal. And so now you're having this, this like alleged fifth film, if you buy into the conspiracy, of course. Then if you're buying into the conspiracy and there's this fifth movie, it's coming off of a terrible alleged fourth movie. All that is to say, it's not looking good. <laughs> and I just, I, I don't see 
a path where they could possibly be successful. I don't. I really don't. Uh, Steven, I have to say, honestly, Little Mermaid is uh, is going daily on box office. What is your prediction for second weekend and overall ending based on what you have so far? I think I already mentioned that, uh, so hopefully you heard it. Uh, as far as, again, the only numbers that have been reported have been the Monday numbers, and it was a holiday weekend. So, so far, the numbers are actually doing not terrible, but still coming in underneath Aladdin. And that's just domestically. Internationally, it's not even close compared to Aladdin. So, yeah, you're, you're looking at a movie that I, I think is, is honestly going to lose a ton of, ton of money, you know? All right. Let's see. Zesty Car, what's going on? Yeah, and again, why not Pinocchio? Because that didn't get a theatrical release, and so it's irrelevant. Uh, Steven, your thoughts on Liongate confirming John Wick 5? How do you think the movie's going to start based on the John Wick 4 ending? I've talked about that one previously on the uh, show, not tonight, but I have mentioned it before, and ultimately, we'll have to wait and see. I I, I don't really want to speculate on it because I would, I'd rather more so be surprised. Uh, lower thank you, yes indeed. Smash the like button. Live the five on Aussie. Wherever you're watching. 121 people still watching. Thank you all very much. I know there's a ton of other places that you could be tonight. But the fact that you're spending that time with me, hey, thank you. Means a lot. You rock. Uh, Kinky and Rumshki. Over on Rumble. Had to say, what is your prediction for the highest selling movie of the year? Based on the numbers that we're seeing, because the best chance Marvel had at a billion dollars was Guardians. And it's doing really well, but it's not going to get a billion dollars. After that... Some people might say, not necessarily that a billion's on the table, but some people might point out, hey, you know, maybe Dial of Destiny does a lot. I don't, I just, I don't see that. I don't see how, how it does that based off of everything that we have so far, especially how this year is going for certain franchise movies too. And so after that, I'm trying to honestly think about other films that could be major hits. I know that some people might feel compelled to say Nolan's Oppenheimer, but here's the issue. I think Oppenheimer is going to do really, really well, but Nolan is not a guaranteed billion-dollar director. He, he makes a lot of really solid movies, and his movies do very, very well, especially based on how much they spend, but it's not... It, it, he, again, does not create massive billion-dollar projects every single time, you know? So, I honestly think Mario has a good chance of ending the year as the highest-grossing uh, internationally uh, worldwide, but I would have to look ahead. I would say Mission Impossible. Some people might mention right M- Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. It's still a little too early. It's still a little too early to to really call on that one. Um, out of all the movies left to come out this year, I would probably say that has the best chance of getting to a billion dollars. But we, st- I, I want some initial data on that one, so we have to wait. Anyway. Let's see. Yeah, Hardwick mentioned something about John Wick. I don't want to talk about that at the moment. Let's see. Wayward Noodle, what's going on? John W., welcome back. Uh, LBSO, what's going on? Appreciate you being here. Yeah, and I didn't say it was Disney. I don't know if that was the the comment there. I was saying Teenage Kraken. I forgot what studio it was, but I knew it wasn't Disney. Uh, Steven, your thoughts on Lord of the Rings fans? Backlash for Black Aragon, son of Arathon. Um, Yeah, I heard about that. I don't really know much about where that's coming from. Like, it's based off of a game or is that adaptation? 
ultimately it sounds like to me something where it probably doesn't have a lot of sales anyway and so it's hey now everyone's talking about them so yeah all right let's see brightburn i heard the flash is set to uh make 70 million dollars for the father's day opening weekend that's pretty low but if james gunn's words are true i think uh wdd is counting on word of mouth but i think here's the other problem too is that word of mouth helps out a lot but it does not necessarily guarantee anything word of mouth on guardians has been very very good and it's been doing well but it's still not going to get a billion dollars the flash we know that film has been in production for a long time we know there have been a ton of production issues and so when people say oh a film needs to make a billion dollars to break even when it comes to avatar yes that makes a lot of sense to me when it comes to the flash that one would also make a lot of sense to me too again i'll wait for the budget they'll they'll probably update the budget um before before the actual release is concerned but i i don't think the flash is going to be a a massive hit i really don't um and again obviously i could be wrong on that there is a michael keaton factor that could be strong for a lot of people but i don't know i i just i don't really see a path forward for a lot of these movies a goat 1971 says little mermaid live action was redundant more useless and unnecessary than the portuguese air force oh dang <laughs> i don't know much about the portuguese air force but uh tony what's going on yeah ds9 is great uh derek douglas says do you think the little mermaid will have a catastrophic drop off this weekend um domestically i actually think it might it, it might do okay i think that it's 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 drop off might not be that bad and I say that because the movie right now is doing kind of typical numbers. Uh, so ultimately, I basically I wouldn't be surprised if it dropped in the 60s range. I also wouldn't be surprised if it dropped north of that. So somewhere between 50 and 70% drop. I know that's a very wide range, but again, we don't have a lot of data. We'll have to wait and see what is the Tuesday number. So tomorrow we'll get the Tuesday number. Okay, how much does it drop off from that Monday to Tuesday? Uh, how much does it drop off in the dailies? And then also a big factor, because this is a much bigger factor than some people might realize, what is the opening weekend for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse actually going to be? Because that is going to determine whether or not uh, you know people are going to be sticking with Little Mermaid or rather if they're going to say, oh, I'm going to go see this instead. And I think... Ultimately, what could lead to The Little Mermaid having a massive drop-off is maybe less word of mouth and more competition. But not just the general competition that sometimes people throw out there saying, well, competition, competition. Well, remember, some people were saying competition for Guardians, saying, oh, Guardians is finally going to get competition. And then Fast 10 came out, and it was it was not competition because it did terrible domestically. So, we, we again, we'll have to wait and see. But those are my kind of general thoughts on that. Uh, Derek Douglas misspelling my name here a couple times here uh what's happening with the Farious? can't find it anywhere chomping at the bit for it uh last i heard it was still not uh, reported I, I did not see a report about when it would be available on pbod i hope i hope soon but i know that it is only in about 300 theaters here uh in north america so miss modern muses thank you very much for being here and thank you very much for the super sticker rose i appreciate that you're awesome uh, over on Rumble, Kinkane Rumshki says, Wait a second, are you saying Mario could be the biggest hit of the year? Holy pineapple, Batman, I am. Because that's the numbers, and that's the data that we have. But I, here's the other thing. So Kinkane Rumshki, I will say, Mario, very likely, is going to be the highest grossing film of this year. Very likely. 
But what I can also say is Mario is not going to be and is not the biggest movie in Japan this year. Now, how's that? How you like them apples? KK and Rumsky, fear not. I predict The Flash will beat Mario. You think The Flash is going to make over $1.3 billion worldwide? Okay, is it possible? Sure, it's possible. Is it likely? I just, I don't see it. All right. Uh, Abomination's got some stuff to say on Odyssey. Rotten Tomatoes separated reviews into critics and audience to highlight trusted reviews. Now they're separating both critics and audience because their trusted reviews aren't trustworthy enough. It's so blatantly dishonest. Well, critics and audience were always separate. The main change that they did to the audience rating was they introduced a, here's the total score, and then here's the quote-unquote verified score, meaning you had to either buy your ticket through, I think it's Fandango that uh, is associated with Rotten Tomatoes, or you had to prove your ticket sale through some other means, and that was what made you a quote verified uh, person. So... um, so I, I know that they had split the audience between those things, but let me try and see if I can get this, uh, if I can maybe clear this up a little bit. It says, separating both critics and audience because the trusted reviews aren't trustworthy enough. Again, they've always been separate. So maybe I'm missing something there. He then goes on to say, I bet their four types of reviews won't be enough. Well, they've always been. So here's the thing. For critics, there's always been the critic rating, and then there's always been top critics. So it's always been top critics and then everybody else. For audiences, it used to be prior to, again, I think Captain Marvel was what pushed this change through. It used to be that there was just an audience score. And then they tried playing around where they were trying to vet the audience score. And it just was a mess. So then they introduced this whole, oh, you're verified. You're a verified user, essentially. Um, But anyway, it says, I bet their four types of reviews won't be enough. Next, they'll have top of the top critics, almost top critics, verified plus audience, vanilla verified... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> unverified audience, but with nice smile, general audience. I, I wish they did, because that sounds phenomenal. <laughs> Jacques Suave says, I'd give it about three to five years, and I bet Disney will start doing animated remakes of all of their live-action remakes, but now everything will be an allegory for climate change. Uh, yeah, that wouldn't surprise me either. That would not be. That would not surprise me either if, if they ended up doing that. Um, and I, I bet it's on their plan. We, we already see they're doing live-action adaptations of their own animated movies, right? And, and we're seeing that of more recent animated uh, movies. I, th- I think they just announced casting, in fact, for one of their live-action characters. It's just, uh, it's just so lazy. So lazy on their part. And disgusting. Got to add that in there, too. Uh, bad new... Uh, bad new... Bad New C7, I I always struggle saying that name for some reason, Uh, over on Rumble says, according to Nerdrotic, The Flash could be most expensive movie to make for the Warner Brothers ever. And that wouldn't surprise me. I would not be surprised to see that number be north of $300 million. Now, will it be north of the $340 million that it costs to make Fast 10? That's, I think, the ultimate question. King Kane Rumshiki says, we don't live in Japan? No, we, we don't live in Japan, but the reason why is because, remember, everyone and their mother was saying, wait until Japan for Mario. Mario's going to be huge in Japan, and it was like, oh, actually performed not even better than any of the best Western releases in that country. I just, I found that to be interesting. That's all I said. <laughs> Ryan Doles. 
Tad to say, this might be a bit of tinfoil hatty, but if Elemental flops, it wouldn't surprise me if Pixar's unfamiliar IPs go to Disney Plus for the foreseeable future. That wouldn't surprise me either. Laura says, I enjoyed Guardians 3, but it feels like they waited way too long to finish the trilogy. I agree. Again, I have a lot of problems with it. I, I think it's it's a far from perfect movie, but I also recognize that there are some actually good, heart-filled moments, and I could see why that would resonate with a lot of people. Uh, let's see, Orchard Review is Odin. If movie talk is one of the is on the docket, have you seen American Sniper, the Chris Kyle adaptation from Clint Eastwood? Yes, it's a very solid movie with one major flaw. Have you seen that fake baby? Oh my goodness, it's awful. <laughs> if you know what it is, you know what I'm talking about. Roger G, what's going on? Welcome back. Ryan Doles, not only Spider-Verse, Puss in Boots looks like Spider-Verse style and Seth Rogen's TMNT. Well, Puss in Boots, it wasn't the entire movie. There were only parts of the movie. Uh, and Seth Rogen's TMNT, you should you you, you lost me at, at Seth Rogen. Ikthulu, about 10 minutes behind, but congrats on the turnout tonight. Well, thank you, Ikthulu. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Still 122 people watching. Insane. Y'all are mad lads. Y'all are awesome. Let's see, uh, Shrike, Shriek, Jim Eagle, what's going on? Ryan Knowles, unpopular movie opinion alert. I watched Raiders of the Lost Ark and was kind of underwhelmed. I don't know if it's the Gen Z factor, but please forgive me. In my opinion, Marion was so annoying. Ryan Doles, I'm not going to forgive you, and your penance is to eat pineapple on pizza. And if you like it, you're still going to eat it because it's, it's, it's heresy. How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? All right, so I do want to try to get through all the comments, but before getting into the rest of the comments, I did want to talk a little bit about Fast 10 because it is in the title, and I like to cover the things that I say I'm going to cover in the title of the video. All right, so let's go ahead and talk a little bit about Fast 10's box office. All right, so right now everyone's like, wait a minute, why Why do you think this movie is flopping? Why do you think this movie is going to lose money? Okay, first, all right, Fast 10, it has indeed made $516 million worldwide, but look at this number difference, Okay. It's made $113 million domestically. You're looking at a movie that is maybe going to cap out at $150 domestic? $150 million domestic? That, that's abysmal. That's terrible. In, in a best-case scenario, it's going to be somewhere between $150 and $200 domestic. And that, that, that's still terrible. And then you look at the international numbers, you're like, okay, it seems to be making a lot of money. Yes, but where is that money coming from? Let's see that international... Oh, wait a minute. Oh, boy. The vast majority of its international numbers is coming from China, where they get very little return on investment. So in most movies and for most situations, I, I still give that benefit of the doubt, right? I still say, okay, even if the vast majority of the money is coming from China, I'm still going to use the same metrics. I'm still going to use the same factors just to try to keep it as fair and even keeled as possible, right? But when you have this kind of a discrepancy, it's not common that you have this kind of a discrepancy. It, 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 again, raises those questions. So that's the that's the first thing I'll mention, first off, right? For those that are still wondering, wait, wow, how is this movie going to lose money? Okay, that's a big one, okay? The market where it keeps the most money, which is the domestic, studios get the most return on investment from the domestic market. So a good domestic return is key to any film's financial success. When you see this kind of separation between, that's why if typically if you have a 50-50 split, or even a 60-40 split between domestic and international, international getting the highest higher piece there, that's a pretty good number. That's usually a pretty good metric. When you're seeing this kind of discrepancy, when, when you're seeing four times the amount in other countries, 
that that again that, that's not the kind of separation that you want to see so that's one major factor it's not even just the china factor it's the disparity between the domestic and the international you then add to that because i also did a box office ticket sales comparison of the uh the fast and furious franchise as well and as you can see here right if you actually look to the domestic opening weekends that 67 million dollar opening weekend domestically from fast 10 was the worst opening other than Tokyo Drift. So when you actually adjust those numbers to modern day dollar values, $36 million was, was Tokyo Drift. Now, as I've mentioned, box office does not always equal whether the movie is good or not, right? We always try to be very clear about that. I personally love Tokyo Drift. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's very, very silly, but it's also a lot of fun. But Fast 10, on the other hand, $67.5 million. So this film does indeed come in above Tokyo Drift, but also if you've been following this franchise, you know Tokyo Drift was just not a very well-received movie by, by most general audiences. It's a movie that I think in hindsight has actually garnered a lot more support. It, it's one of those like almost, if, if we had to say there was a cult classic universe within the Fast universe, the cult classic of the Fast and Furious universe will be Tokyo Drift. I think most people would agree uh, with that general sentiment. Even if they don't like it personally, they would say, yeah, I know a lot of people, though, who love Tokyo Drift, right? It does that for certain people, myself included. But you look at that. You look at also look, okay, here's the ticket price. All right, or rather, here are the average ticket sales. And remember, I'm using a $10.45 average ticket price for this year. Uh, WW Pro has said that he believes it's actually closer to $13 to $14. So you're also looking at the number of tickets being sold being far below any other release, right? If you have it compared with the $10.45, it's not too far below Hobbs and Shaw. It's not too far below uh, Fast 9, right? I think Fast 9 was actually mentioned in the comparison. But here's the other reason, okay? 81.2 million domestic versus 67.5. Okay, that's quite a drastic difference. Add on top of that, the international numbers. And remember, Fast 9 was able to do something during the pandemic that no other that no other movie was really doing at that time. Now, some would say, well, doesn't that mean that Fast 10, since there isn't a pandemic, might actually be able to change things too? Well, here's the other major problem, and this is, to me, a key. Look at that budget. This movie cost about $100 million more than Fast 9. An extra $100 million, and yet it's coming in beneath where Fast 9 was. So ultimately... Mass disparity between domestic and international. Mass disparity between budgets. Add on top of that, not really performing well at all, especially domestically. And not performing that much more impressively internationally. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not looking good. And that's why I think Fast 10 is on its way to flopping as well. In fact, to kind of give you all another... And again, we'll, I'll try to get through as many comments as I can. We might go a little longer tonight just so I can get through all the comments. But I was able to. Again, I make projections official projections, uh, ones that I put a lot of stock behind for the channel after the first two weeks of release. And so at $507 million, all right, that means that I suspect and I project the film is going to make a minimum of 724. So that would actually already put the film making more than Fast 9. And that makes a lot of sense to me because, hey, it is not during the pandemic as that movie was. That being said, the 724 was very impressive for Fast 9 because of the pandemic and, uh, remember, $100 million less in, in the actual cost. So, 
you have that. Now, some people might say, oh, a billion dollars is mentioned here. Yeah, that's if it doubles what it's made. And right now, based off of how much it's dropping, it's not going to do that. So you're looking at this being between a $724 and $870 million movie. Probably somewhere in that range. Because of that budget, though, that means you could see... And right now, the only drop we have, the only major drop we have is around 66% of a drop, which was its week one to week two. So if it gets close to that 70%, right, the first two weeks accounting for 70% of its entire box office, you're looking at around a $75 million loss in that case. Now, remember, I use a 2.5 times budget metric. There are many who don't agree with that. There are many people who say it's actually three times the budget. And if that's the case then that number jumps up to well over $100 million. Now, let's say it does that average. Okay, according to my charting, if it hits the average, that means it would make around $11.7 million in net profit. Not a good return on investment. Technically a break-even. You take into account that three times multiplier, okay, that gets wiped away and you have a loss. So we walk away from this saying and, and, and looking at the data and there's just nothing there to suggest that the film is on way to any kind of financial success. Because even breaking even, right, when you put in $340 million and you break even, that's not a good financial move. <laughs> oh, man, oh, man. Let's see. Over on Rumble, and we'll, we'll try and get through as many of these uh, chats as we can. Banu... Uh, Bad News C7, I really enjoyed the rocket story of Guardians 3. Oh, it was the best part of the film, by far. And it was surprising because of there was a lot of CGI and even CGI characters, and they were actually well done. Kingan Rumshki, totally agree with Ryan about Ark of the Covenant and Marion. The Last Crusade is my favorite of the franchise. Okay, I agree. I love, at least with that last point, I love The Last Crusade too. But I think uh, that first movement, I, I just love uh, Raiders. Raiders is still a great movie. The one that I'm not as big a fan of is Temple of Doom. I know there's a lot of Temple of Doom fans out there. I still think the film is is, is fun, right? It's still a fun Indiana Jones movie, but uh, yeah, uh, Last Crusade is is absolutely my favorite. So, all right, back into the YouTube chat. Hardwick, the first time I watched Raiders, I didn't like it much either. Marion annoyed me as well, but after a few rewatches, I became it became one of my favorite movies. I know that sometimes that does happen. Uh, Ryan Dole says, wow, I thought I'd be getting hundreds of boos. Well, you got a boo for me, boo! Hardwick, ironically, for a while, I liked Willie Scott better than Marion and found her less annoying than the two. Super says, and I wouldn't want them to sell off anything. Disney is the most egregious because they're the largest, but every studio has the same problem. Media is just in a bad place right now. Yeah, it's very true. And if they were to sell off some of their prized IPs, they would really, really regret those decisions because I think ultimately the money they would want for them, they would only get if they were to make certain contracts that would basically guarantee a certain number of years. I don't think they would ever actually sell off their IPs altogether. I think they would rather rent them or maybe give distribution rights or something to that effect. Um, but if again, even if they did, I, I don't think it would end up being a good deal for them um, in the long run. Forever Sci-Fi. Has anyone seen Mickey's Diversity Games video put up a few days ago? Uh, no, but what is that? Hardwick. While I have come to like Marion over time, I still maintain that Evelyn Carnahan, Rachel Vice from The Mummy, is better than any of the indie girls. 
Well, Rachel Weisz is also just a fantastic actress. So I don't think that's necessarily a fair comparison. But I get your point. Let's see. Laura says, I'm locked out of my Rotten Tomatoes account ever since I did a bad Captain Marvel review. Ah, yes. Yeah, I remember I had posted a review and it never got posted. And I had seen the movie. I had seen that garbage. I was a verified user. Actually, I wasn't a verified user because they hadn't had that yet. <laughs> they didn't. They hadn't had implemented that system yet. Oh, man. I do like I got to the part, part of the This shows how far behind I fall, guys. Because it's 8.32, but it is 8.05 in the chat. So, yeah, I'm exactly 30 minutes behind. Look at that. <laughs> only three. Yes, there's only three, Miss Minnesota fan. Mr. Roy, what's going on, Mr. Roy? Sandy, Sandy, I'm so late. Oh, it's all good. It happens. It happens. Appreciate you being here. Appreciate everyone being here. We just dropped below 100 uh, people for the first time tonight. I assume uh, Tuesday, night, Tuesday night's main event has just started. So I appreciate for uh, those people who have been around uh, for as long as y'all have. It's always fun to have uh, have a good crowd. I feed off of it. It's fun. I love this stuff. Brightburn85, what about The Adventures of Young Indiana Jones, Allfather? Do you ignore that series as well? I didn't even know that existed. Kimberly G, there are only three Indiana Jones movies. Harrison Ford galloped into the sunset with Soul Brody and his father, Sean Connery. Yash. Hardwick, I didn't recognize some... I didn't recognize some problems in The Force Awakens at first, but the way it undid the happy ending from Return of the Jedi and killed off Han Solo ruined it for uh, ru ruined it for me from the beginning. Well, again, I think a lot of people hated that. I think a lot of people were, mess were, were upset by that. But I think a lot more people than maybe even some people want to admit were still at the point where they would say, okay, maybe this is all going to mean something, though, and it's all going to be having been worth it. But that, of course, didn't happen. Because what if in The Last Jedi and in, in Star Wars 9, what if in those movies they end up telling an amazing story and, and developing amazing characters and, and maybe doing even flashbacks, right? There could have been, they could have done things that could have actually redeemed that moment, but they didn't, right? So again, I think that a lot of people were still on board uh, until, the, until The Last Jedi. And, and the biggest proof of that is, is you look to how much money that movie made and then you look at how much less movie Last Jedi made and also the, the massive drop-offs that you saw as the movie continued to roll out and as the word of mouth continued to spread. And then, of course, you, you just see the disconnect between that and then the last one. They, they lost over half their audience. That's insane. Michael Hill, Mission Impossible will be the highest grossing movie of 2023. Again, I think that it has a possibility. Um, again, it definitely has a possibility of hitting a billion dollars. Jonathan Bear, Tenet is a good example of people putting too much trust in Nolan and making a billion. It didn't even come close. It was in the middle of the pandemic, so there is that excuse. And that actually is a valid one, right? Because the pandemic is oftentimes overused. I mean, because remember that by December of that year, they were still using that. Actually, no, it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was 2021, right? They were still using that as the primary excuse. And then what did you see happen? You saw Spider-Man No Way Home come out and everyone and their mother came out to go see it. And it completely destroyed that narrative. It's like, no, people have just been waiting for a good movie. A movie that's worth going to see. A movie that seems, at the very least, like it's worth going to see. That's going to give people what they want. That's going to seem like it's worth the money. You know? And, and that's what we've, we've seen that pretty consistently. So, um, but yeah. Uh, if any film, though, a film like Tenet, and even a film like Fast and Furious, they can actually use. Because, especially with Fast and Furious. Remember, Fast and Furious has always been heavily loaded in the international market, right? That's always been the case. 
I don't think it's ever been this bad, right? Is there, there's never been this much disparity between their domestic and international, but they've always been heavily international. And what what happened to movies in the pandemic years was that so many of these European countries went so insane with their lockdown measures for so much longer than what they should have that 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 is going to have a negative impact on on these things. So, Odin, did you know there's John Wick 5? General Winkster, I love you. General Winkster, I love you so much. Pet troll, he gets it, and it's always fun. Uh, J.S. Pena, what's up? He tried to say, not relevant, but since Pride Month is just two days away. Okay, so first off, J.S. Pena, no. Uh, June is two days away, and June is the month of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. So I'm not going to even acknowledge the existence of said month because it it didn't come into existence until, what, the 1960s. And the Sacred Heart of Jesus has been established for much longer than that. So, no, month of June is the month of the Sacred Heart. And I would say it's actually a better time for us to say, why don't we try to push for Humility Month? Why don't we try to push for humility? Something that all of us, myself included, need to work on. Why should we promote pride? Anyway... He was on to say, I'm curious about your opinion. Do you tolerate same-sex marriage or do you disavow it completely? Again, really, that's very much not relevant at all to our discussions uh, in general. Um, but I've always been very clear about my, my, again, I am a devout Catholic and I hold to the teachings of the Catholic Church. Plain and simple. And a big part of the teachings of the Catholic Church is to love the human person, to love and to respect the dignity of every single human person. Briper95, the one thing I took away from the Dial of Destiny trailer is the story takes place in 1969, the same year on Her Majesty's Secret Service came out. I love a James Bond Easter egg. I don't think it's going to be enough. <laughs> yeah, John Evan Bear, I definitely felt like it was like, wait a minute. Am I being set up for something? Michael Hill, Nefarious will be streaming this Friday per Steve Dace. Oh, awesome. Okay, there you go. Thank you for that information. That, that's due to me. All right, so hey, if you've been waiting on Nefarious, it'll be available to stream according to Steve Dace, this Friday. I can't wait. Hardwick, out of curiosity, I listened to Aquafina's song Scuttlebutt on YouTube. For some reason, I started to think about Fran Drescher. That's a great comparison. Oh, man, Hardwick, those are the kind of comments I want more of, man. They're short, to the point, and funny. I like it. <laughs> I want that scuttlebutt. Ah. Oh, it's so bad. Forever Sci-Fi, I've gotten past being angry at all these studios or just being indifferent. I can't be bothered to care. They killed my love for going to theaters. I'm sorry to hear that because there are still some really good films that come out. Obviously, last year, I think the biggest one was was Top Gun Maverick. Um, uh, for this year, you have films like Nefarious that have come out. Uh, John Wick Chapter 4. There's, there's, there's really good films that have come out. General Wingster, Disney Live Action Remake of Fern Gully. Even if they didn't make it originally, yo, Tim Curry, let's make it happen. Yeah, I, I, I love Tim Curry. But so much has happened to that man. I don't want to see them. I don't want to see him being rolled out. <laughs> Remember sci-fi. Christopher Walken is the best. Puss and Boots changed my mind. Well, you know. Uh, Riper. I've heard people compare Matt Reeves the Batman with Steven Spielberg's Rage of the Lost Ark. Even though they're like 47 years apart because nothing Batman and Indy did mattered. Yeah, I think it's a bad comparison because they're they're not the same movie at all. China. Exactly, Laura. <laughs> China. All right. We are over time, so I'm trying to get through these last comments. James Drake, what is going on? No, 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 no. Again, Doom's fun. Uh, Temple of Doom's fun, but it, it is not better than Crusade. Come on. Come on, man. 
Ms. Minazaga fan. Raiders is probably my favorite of the three. I can respect that. Kimberly G. Raiders of Lost Ark is a movie you want a you want on a deserted island, an airplane, and Ghost Protocol. <laughs> those are those are some pretty good. I for me, out of the three, uh, uh, Crusade would probably be my desert island movie. Remember Sci-Fi, Mickey's Diversity Games, an animated video put out by Flash Flash Gets with Mickey and friends talking about the scores Disney gets for diversifying their characters. I had a good laugh watching it. Oh, nice. Hardwick, wait, you didn't know the young Indiana Jones Chronicles existed? It ran for years, starred Sean Patrick Flannery, even guest starred Harrison Ford. Nope, I didn't know that. There's a lot of things I don't know. Uh, in various episodes, the young Indiana Jones, young Indy met Winston Churchill, etc. Nice. Cool. All right, let's see. King Ken Rumsky says, Last Crusade A+, Raiders A. Trying to see if I had gotten the rest of the comments there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so for me, I would put Raiders at a... I'd probably put Raiders at an A-. minus. I would put Crusade at an A. And then i put Temple of Doom at a B-. minus. Probably would put those scores there. Because those, those are the only three. Those, those are the only three. And uh, Abomination, he didn't tag me, but I still like this comment nonetheless because I do love Fern Gully. And he says, Fern Gully had such an environmentalist narrative, I doubt they wouldn't use it as an opportunity to spread their anti-human nonsense. And yet, I can continue to go back and re-watch that movie and, and still enjoy it. Because going back to what someone mentioned earlier, Tim Curry. Toxic love. I mean, come on. It's a great song. But those are all the comments that I'm going to get to tonight, everybody out there. So if you're going to come in with last comments, I'm sorry. I'm very, very, very sorry. So again, remember that we do have our summer streaming schedule. If you want more information about it, go to ombreviews.com. I've got the full schedule laid out there. Uh, again, summer schedule is the same as far as the evenings are concerned, but we do have a few new morning streams. So our next stream will be actually tomorrow morning on this channel. Same channel, different time, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern time. But again, if you want the full schedule and locations, go to my website, ombreviews.com. If you can find that and many other places to go to help support the channel in the link in the video's description below. This has been a great show, everybody. This has been a ton of fun. Thank y'all for the support. Thank y'all for the love. Before heading out, please, again, smash the like button. Let the fire I see smash the rumble button as well. And for those that are going to be joining me tomorrow, thank you. Uh, because the Good Morning Asgard podcast is a very fun stream, and I like to let those be even more laid back than these. These are always very laid back, I think, but I, I like to let those streams kind of run themselves to a certain degree. Also, if I ever want to play around with certain things, I know some people have asked about if I was going to do a box office comparison uh, of, of last year, so saying, okay, how did the studios do for the entirety of the year? That would be the kind of stream that I would probably end up doing that on. Uh, so that's no promises on when that would be, but those are the kinds of things I like to do uh, there on the channel. So again, thank you all very much. Please make sure also if you want to share this video, if anyone out there maybe needs a little bit of help understanding what's going on with Little Mermaid or Fast 10, uh, you could, of course, use this as a reference and share it with those that you think might find it either fun or entertaining or informative, whatever it might be. And uh, with all that being said, I'm going to go get some ice cream because I I, I really need some um, and probably play a little bit more of, uh, of Tears of the Kingdom because it's, it's such a great game. But anyway, tomorrow, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern time before the Geeks and Gamers daily stream. And I recommend everyone check that one out after on the Geeks and Gamers channel. 
And uh, anyway, uh, check out for uh, Tuesday Night Main Event. If you're not already watching that uh, already, send my love if you are going to head over there also. Tell them that Odin sent you. You guys are all amazing and beautiful people. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Again, blessed Pentecost, blessed Pentecost Tuesday. As always, God bless. And before officially ending the stream, for anyone who's hanging around, if you've been watching the chat, you would have noticed that Cthulhu, I, I totally missed the super chat from you, good sir. So before ending the stream officially, I always like to do long and if you've ever seen a video a movie, right, that has like multiple endings to it, I feel like that's how my streams are sometimes. It's, I think it's the ADD uh, in me, but I did want to make sure I got to your super chat, man, because I, I hate uh, I hate missing those things. So Cthulhu, thank you for the $2 super chat. I need some ice cream after that one, especially, but he asked, how do I see you with WW Pro? Don't see it on uh, CHN. Okay, yeah. Uh, so you can find that on the Salty Nerd uh, podcast channel, the Salty Nerd YouTube channel. We do a stream on Saturdays, and this past Saturday, uh, WW Pro was on the Salty Podcast. So if you go to their channel, it should be there. And uh, I'm not on for the first hour as I was off doing. Um, I was, baby Thor had to go to a birthday party, so I was not on for the first hour, but for the second hour, I was on with him, and he had a lot of really great things to say, and I think it was during that stream, he mentioned the 13 to $14 average ticket price. If it wasn't there, then it was another video that I watched of him after the fact, but yeah, he was a great guest. He was a lot of fun, so hopefully that answers your question, and again, I apologize. I was not able to get to that uh, during during the main show, but Cthulhu, no problem at all, man. I hope that you're able to find it, and for everyone else, if you happen to have been sticking around this long... And seeing this, hey, thank you. And as always, God bless.